welcome back to the Entertainment Goes Pop podcast, where all things entertainment meet all things pop culture, where all things are fair game to discuss here, whether it's TV, movies, music, sports, video gaming, anything pop culture, all fair game to discuss here. This week, we're going to talk some NBA. NBA All-Star voting is open 20 years since the premiere of Survivor, the Australian Outback. We've got some network news. We'll talk some 90210, some HBO Max, and talk about the one-year anniversary that is just still unbelievable that it happened. And that's the one-year anniversary since the passing of Kobe and Gigi Bryant and all those that were lost in that awful tragedy one year ago. So let's get into this week's podcast. The NBA has announced that all-star voting for 2021 is now officially open and it will run until Tuesday, February 16th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. So you can get all your favorite players in the NBA all-star game. We'll talk about the actual all-star game story here in a second. But as far as how to vote, I'm going to read this off their official press release that they've put out. Throughout the voting period, fans may submit one full ballot each day via the NBA app and NBA.com, as well as vote for up to 10 unique players per day on Twitter. All current NBA players will be available for selection. Five two-for-one days will allow fans to have their votes count twice on January 30th, February 2nd, 4th, 13th, and 16th through Twitter, NBA.com, and the NBA app voting platforms. All two-for-one days will be designated from midnight Eastern Time through 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. And again, NBA players and media will join fans in selecting the NBA All-Star starters. Fans will account for 50% of the vote, while all current players and a media panel will account for 25% each. Players and media will be able to complete one ballot featuring three front court players and two guards from both the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. After all votes are tallied, players will be ranked in each conference by position, guard and front court, within each of the three voting groups, fan votes, player votes, and media votes. Each player's score will be calculated by averaging his weighted rank from the fan votes, the player votes, and the media votes. The two guards and three front court players with the best score in each conference will be named NBA All-Star Starters. Fan voting will serve as the tiebreaker for players in a position group with the same score. Fan voting updates will be shared on Thursday, February 4th and Thursday, February 11th. NBA on TNT will reveal this season's NBA All-Star Starters. The evening of Thursday, February 18th, during TNT NBA tip-off presented by CarMax, TNT will also announce the NBA All-Star Reserves as selected by NBA coaches the evening of February 23rd. So as far as how you can vote, again, you have the NBA.com voting page, the NBA app, but with Twitter, here's how you do it on Twitter, Tweet, retweet, or reply with a hashtag of an NBA player's first and last name, so such as hashtag, here they have it, hashtag first name, last name, or Twitter handle, along with the hashtag NBA All-Star. Each tweet may include only one player's name or handle. Fans may vote for 10 unique players per day from January 28th through February 16th. So does that mean we're going to have an NBA All-Star game? Well, according to Adrian Wojciechowski, he had a story up that they are looking to do a scaled-down All-Star game in Atlanta this year. Of course, the original plan was that NBA All-Star weekend was going to be in Indianapolis. It was in Chicago last year at the United Center. This year, the plan was it was going to be in Indianapolis. Of course, with the pandemic, that's changed things up. So right now, Woj said that they're planning on, the league's looking at doing a scaled-down All-Star game in Atlanta, and that it would possibly be in early March, maybe around March 7th. So that's going to be something to look at. 
I mean, it clearly seems like that's what they're going toward because why else do all this all-star voting unless you just want to keep tradition going to where you can say, hey, so-and-so is an all-star and so-and-so made the all-star team. So clearly they must have a plan in place here for how they're going to try to do the all-star game. I'd be curious to see if they try anything beyond that, whether they try the three-point shootout, dunk contest, and all that. Uh, I don't know. I just, I don't know if they try anything beyond that with like an all-star Saturday night or something. That's going to be something we'll have to see. So yeah, the NBA is working their way to trying to make something happen apparently with NBA all-star weekend. So looks like, uh, this thing is not out of the question with an all-star weekend of some sort happening for 2021. A couple of 90210 things to discuss this week. There was the announcement that Viacom, CBS, is going to release Beverly Hills 90210, the Ultimate Collection DVD set. This is going to include all 10 seasons of the original series and also the new BH90210 series that aired in 2019. It's going to carry a retail price of $179.99 for 74 total discs in this DVD set, which is pretty amazing that 74 discs, but I mean, it's like it's 10 seasons, you know. And you're looking at, you know, 45 minutes, probably for that time frame. You take out commercials, you're probably about 45 minutes for each episode. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's going to be a pass just because, again, music rights. Uh, I just, I have a hard time buying sets with music rights where the music's been changed and everything. And, you know, I'm going to talk about, well, let me talk about first the BH90210 series that's going to be included on this as well from 2019. That, the reboot was very polarizing where it seemed like the fan base either really loved it or they really hated it. And I think a lot of the hate for the series is basically... You know, the people that thought this show was going to be the same thing that it always was. When this thing popped up, people were like, oh my goodness, that's awesome. They're bringing the show back. We're getting all these characters back. And that's not what the plan was. You know, originally when they first put out the statement that they were going to do it, you know, it was just like, oh, okay, here we go. But the next thing that came out was, this is what it's going to be. And it was basically the story of the reboot was, how do I even describe this? It's, the series was basically about the real life actors rebooting the series. It was, it was like there were two walls in between this to where it's basically like, it's basically like the show is Jason Priestley, Tori Spelling, Ian Ziering, you know, Shannon Doherty, where they're all together and in the show, they're getting together to reboot the series of 90210. And I think for me, I knew what we were getting. So I'd already heard the rumblings. I knew what the show was going to be. So when it premiered, you know, I was going into it like, okay, well, let's see how this is. But you had such a big audience of the 90210 audience that was expecting this to be like the original series. And then they turn it on and they're like, what is this? What's going on? You know, it's, it just wasn't at all what they were expecting it to be. And that automatically kind of got it off to a bad start. But from what I saw from a lot of people that had that reaction immediately they they stuck with it and they were just like, well, I just want to see how this turns out, how it does, because they were so excited to see, you know, this cast all back together and they wanted to just kind of see where it went. 
And for me, I enjoyed it. The first episode, I was kind of like, okay. The second episode, I wasn't as crazy about. But it seemed like once they got to about the third episode, it kind of settled in for me. And then, you know, it went on through the distance and everything. And then, of course, it didn't get picked up for season two, which was kind of surprising. I kind of thought they had enough of an audience to pick that up. And, you know, and this thing aired in the summer. So, you know, networks are always looking for content to air in the summer. And it just seemed like this was something good that you could pull in viewers for and just a you know, like a basically a guaranteed fan base that's going to tune in and watch this thing. So, yeah, I was a little surprised that it didn't get picked up for season two. That's what's going to be on this set. And, you know, talking about VH90210, um, on the new 90210MG podcast that Jenny Garth and Tori Spelling are doing now, I, last week I listened to the episode that they did uh, where Luke Perry's first episode, they watched Luke Perry's first episode. You know, I talked about this before. They are starting from the beginning and they are doing one podcast episode with every episode of the show. So they watch it, then they discuss it, tell some behind the scenes, have some interviews with some special guests that come on. That's something they're doing. And, you know, this they talked about Luke Perry and, you know, just, they said that this was really, I think it was Jenny Garth that said this, that this was really the first time she had spoke about Luke Perry publicly since his passing. And they just had a tough time, you know, as expected, talking about him. But also they talked about how watching this old episode of his debut on the series was just so like comforting for them, you know, and they told the story about BH90210 that when they all first got together for the table read that they were so used to like, they knew how many of them there were like they knew, you know, when they had this number of people, when they looked around, they counted that number. They knew everybody was there. And they talked about when they gathered for that first time that, you know, they were like, well, okay, is everybody here? Let's go. And they said, Ian Ziering spoke up. And he's just like, no, we don't have everybody. Luke's not here yet. And then he paused and he turned and he looked around, like, off to the side, like, oh, I can't believe I just said that. You know, basically, like, it just was, he was so used to, you know, Luke being around that it was just, it was just so like routine, you know, that he looked around and he's like, Oh, well, Luke's not here. And, you know, Oh, it was just, that was hard. That was a, that was a tough story. And it said, it just kind of paused the room, you know, to where they, it was the reality check, you know, of, uh, that Luke wasn't there, you know, and how I, and just kind of paused and looked off like, Oh, you know, and it was like that moment of hitting him you know, where all that had happened. But it was, there was a lot of uh, interesting stuff in that podcast where they talked about Luke Perry. One thing that I did not know is they told the story, um, Tori told the story that Fox was not sold on Luke Perry for the character of Dylan McKay at first. And that she said that she overheard a conversation on the phone with her dad, of course, Aaron Spelling, where he was on the phone with Fox producers and with network people, you know, I don't know if the producers or whatever, anyway, network people, I'll just put it that way, and that they were kind of pushing back a little bit on Luke Perry, that they weren't really sold on him, and that Aaron Spelling was like, no, this is the guy, this is the guy, this is who is going to play this role, and they said something, you know, that with the way TV is that the deal was that you had to, you had to open up an audition, you know, or something kind of along those lines where even if you knew who you wanted, you still had to have an audition where you're to make it official or something, know, some kind of a network kind of deal or something. And Aaron just fought on it where he's just like, this is the guy, this is who I want. This is Dylan. 
and he she said that he put his foot down and said this is the guy and if you don't hire him i'm gonna hire him myself and i'm gonna pay him out of my own pocket so this is what's happening deal with it he's dylan mckay and that was just amazing to me and it's to me and in a great way because that's just awesome and it showed that aaron spelling was right because luke perry is dylan mckay is one of the most iconic characters, especially of the 90s. My goodness. You know, and that's that's what's so crazy to think. And you see so many times that these networks just don't have things right a lot of times. I mean, how many times do you hear TV shows to where network people get involved and they just have completely different ideas? And to think how iconic Luke Perry was in that role... And to think that Fox wasn't sold on him immediately. And, you know, Luke Perry was really one of the main drivers of that show, of the popularity of it. You know, so just major kudos. I love that hearing that uh, Aaron Spelling just stood up with him so strong. You know, like, this is the guy... If you don't hire him, I'm going to hire him. I'm going to pay him out of my own pocket, and there's nothing you can do about it. Deal with it. <laughs> you know, that's pretty much what, what he said. You know, and Tori overheard the conversation. So, yeah, they had a lot of great stories. Um, and I just, I really enjoy this podcast because I'm getting a lot of good details, you know, of things that they remember, a lot of good interviews. So, yeah, so you've got the podcast. I keep saying this, but man, there's, if you're a 90210 fan, there's a lot of great content out there for you right now. You've got this DVD Ultimate Collection that we'll be releasing. It's going to be released on March 23rd is the release date for that. 74 disc includes the original, includes the BH90210 reboot, $179.99 retail price. I'm going to skip this just because I have the episodes myself. I have them recorded with the original music. (laughs) And I'm going to discuss this a little more with music in this next segment. So speaking of music with TV... Freaks and Geeks, if you remember that old series that just had such a big following. It was kind of one of those cult hits that just had such a following back in the day. And just seemed like it got more and more popular as time went along. It is now on Hulu streaming. And the big news is that it has been released with its original soundtrack. They have got the music clearance for all of the episodes. This is a big deal, you know, because I talk so many times about music changes in these shows and how much it affects them. So, from what I understand, Freaks and Geeks on the DVD set, they had all the music intact. They had to, you know, try to get all the rights for that. But when you get to streaming, that's another issue. So, that was a big deal. I mean, I don't know how much all that cost and how much trouble they had to go through to get it. But that's a big deal. That's to me, that's a major thing. And I just talked about, you know, 90210. One of the things that Jenny Garth and Tori Spelling spoke about in the very first episode of the podcast was that how weird it was to watch the episodes with different music. That is one of the first things they mentioned. They said, Ooh, man, these these episodes are really different with this new music, and they just did not like the new music. And they spoke about how, you know, 90210 was very, like, pop culture. I mean, they had the hit songs of that era and had them in these episodes, and a lot of the episodes had scenes that were tied to music that you remember the song to tie to these scenes, and they talked about just how much they did not like um, the new music in them that they've replaced it with, and they just kind of groan like, oh, this music's really just not very good. <laughs> and so for Freaks and Geeks to get this, this is a big deal. And there's so many shows 
to where, because Freaks and Geeks had just major music in it that really tied to that series. And, I mean, we've had other shows that have had these issues. You know, I talk about Dawson's Creek. Um, when I, I keep watching these episodes on Pluto, and they're very hit or miss with with uh, music. Sometimes you'll hear the song. Sometimes it's replaced. Of course, the theme song's been replaced, which is mind-blowing. That's a whole other thing to where... Um, like the DVD box sets, when they put out Dawson's Creek, if you get the full series, season one is full music intact. I think, if I remember right, there was maybe one song that was replaced on that whole DVD box set of season one. When they went to season two, I don't know if it was all replaced. I don't feel like it was all replaced, but I think most of it, or at least half of it, was replaced. And as time went along, I think it got worse and worse. But they even had trouble getting the rights to the theme song. When you watch the DVDs of it, the theme song is different. When you watch it on Pluto, of course, I don't know. I don't know if it's like that on all the DVDs. It isn't on the first season. I think from there on the DVDs, they do have the theme song replaced. Pluto, it is definitely replaced when it was airing on what used to be, uh, is it still Pop TV? What used to be TV Guide Network? Uh, when Dawson's Creek was airing on there on reruns, the theme song was replaced. I'm pretty sure it was replaced on the DVDs as well. But it's just painful because there's so many songs that I remember to where they tie to these scenes and when it's not there it just it gets you immediately like no this isn't right something's not right here oh they replaced the song and Dawson's Creek's another one that I bought the first season because all the music was intact when they didn't put the full music intact on the rest of the seasons I didn't buy them like I have the episodes recorded from I recorded them back when they originally aired and I would rather have those versions in lesser quality than to have DVD quality of a show that is different because of music from what I watched. Um, the Wonder Years is another show that you know from the 80s that had so much music in it. And there was such a big push for the longest time to get the Wonder Years to DVD. And the big issue with getting that to happen was the music. They had so much music in that show that they couldn't afford to get it out, you know? And it took till just like the last few years that uh, Time Life got a hold of it, um, put it out on DVD, got all clearance. They got all clearance on all the music, then they shot some new footage, brought everybody back together, recorded it, did a bunch of cool extras. But, you know, they had to, it took till then for them to get that out on DVD in a box set. And, you know, you probably pay a little more for it. I'll tell you another example as far as that goes. And that is American Dreams. It was a show on NBC that aired probably around, oh, 2004, 2005-ish, three, you know, in that era. And I loved that show so much. It was set in the 60s. It, it was a show about a family in the 60s. It was produced by Dick Clark. It had a lot of American Bandstand ties to it. Such a great show. Had so much music because it's tied to American Bandstand. And they're bringing that 60s music in there and it just there were so many scenes that were just made with that music when they put the first season out on dvd they did so kind of sort of with a sort of disclaimer where they said it has all the music on it but with the music being on it we had to price tag this thing higher if I remember right, it price tagged at about $80 for the first season. And, of course, you had all the music on it. The box set looked beautiful. 
All the episodes looked beautiful, sounded great. We never got the other two seasons. And I've never even heard rumblings of season two or three of American Dreams being released. It just kind of, that show's just like floating out there with no, no sign of release, no syndication, nothing. You know, and it must be a deal to where the first season, maybe they didn't make enough money off of that return with that music to where it wasn't going to be affordable to put out season two and three. And it seems like at the time, I do believe I remember this, at the time people were asking, you know, are we going to get season two and three? And I think the reason was given was again about the music. And to me, I'm like, put that box set back out at $80, put it out at $100. I don't care. It's like, if that stuff's in there, music's intact, put it out. But not everybody's going to feel that way. You know, not all of us, not everybody is just completely committed to the music in these shows like some of us are. Some of us, like me, I am diehard with, you know, I remember this song with this scene and it made that scene. So I guess American Dreams, we're just never, I don't know if we're ever going to see seasons two and three, but I don't feel like there's that. It's been so many years now, I don't feel like you're going to have that big, you know, desire for that release. But yeah, see, I mean, that was a show there to where if you wanted for them to get the music in that show, they had to price tag that thing pretty much double price. At that time period, uh, box sets were coming out at about $40 a piece. $40 retail was about normal for what uh, DVD box sets were at that time. So you have American Dreams coming out and it's price tagged at $80. So it was priced double. So yeah, so Freaks and Geeks with them getting music rights, this is a major thing for a lot of people. And that was a big topic of discussion when... Uh, you know, they were trying, people were wanting it to land, you know, on a streaming service. And they were basically like, hey, you know, it's a music rights problem. If you, if you enjoy the music, uh, cling to your DVDs. So for them to get music clearance here, that's a big deal and a very awesome thing that I know a lot of fans are going to be very excited about. couple of sports networks here with some news this week. NBCSN has announced that they are going to be shutting down that network at the end of 2021. Uh, this with uh, that, of course they have a lot of sports deals on that network including NASCAR and the NHL and it appears that the plan is going to be that those and of course, you know, maybe some other sports uh, entities that they've got are going to slide over to USA Network and they're going to move over there. Um, from what I've read, it's uh, Golf Channel and Olympic Channel that are under that same umbrella. They are not going to be affected. Of course, NASCAR's deal with NBC runs through 2024. NHL's deal, TV deal with... Uh, NBCSN uh, is getting ready to come to a close, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do from there. Uh, this really loads up USA Network to where they're going to have a lot of content now. USA for a while was kind of, they were more focused on, they had a really good run of TV shows, of like scripted TV, and I think they've kind of slid back a little bit to where you don't really hear as much buzz on the USA shows as much as you did because they were hot, you know, about 15 years ago, 10 years ago. And so now you're going to see a lot of sports moving over there. So this is going to be a pretty big deal, I think, for USA to uh, move them up in, uh, in ratings-wise, you know, as far as one of the top cable cable networks so it'll be very interesting to see how that all works out one thing of course that 
USA already has is WWE programming. WWE announced with Peacock that the WWE Network, which is a, their own streaming service app, they're going to be moving over to the Peacock streaming service on March the 18th. That gives Peacock exclusive rights to the WWE Network in the United States. If you're outside the United States, WWE Network is still going to remain as it is from everything I've heard. The plan is they're going to roll out you know, about, I think, 17,000 hours of WWE library programming over to Peacock. I'm curious to see if everything that they've got um, archive-wise on the app, you know, on their actual streaming service, if it moves over to Peacock as well. Uh, WWE Network is going to be available as part of Peacock's $4.99 per month uh, monthly charge, and that's going that includes ads. If you want the ad free, it's going to be $9.99 per month. So that's one thing there. So you're going to basically slide over. From what I've read, in the next little while as it gets closer to time toward March 18th, I think WWE Network, if you're a subscriber, they are going to send emails out to let you know uh, what you need to do, how they're going to roll you over as far as, you know, do you want to be part of the $4.99? Do you want to be $9.99? You know, what do you want? So that'll be interesting there. The only thing that's going to be frustrating with, as far as difference-wise, and maybe that's something Peacock will eventually fix, Peacock does not have where you can pause live TV or that you can start from the beginning. Like, you know, with WWE Network, you could jump on and let's say, just say you get home an hour into the show. And you're like, oh, I don't really want to just jump in an hour in. I just want to do this. I want to watch it from the beginning. You could click and start watching it from the beginning, which was really awesome. And then, of course, you know, you can pause live TV. This is not something you can do on Peacock as of now. And I've seen a lot of people that aren't real thrilled about that with Peacock with, uh, you know, whenever they watch live sports on there or something like that. Like if they need to leave the room or something, they just want to pause it for a second and come back. That's not something they can do on Peacock. And that's something you can do on WWE Network on their actual streaming service app. So... Yeah, this was a big deal. This is the Wall Street Journal had a deal, had an article out where they said that they thought the streaming rights money was about $200 million a year that WWE was going to get from Peacock for this. That's what the article said. I don't know if that's legit, obviously. Allegedly. <laughs> How about allegedly? That's what uh, Wall Street Journal had in their article. And so, I mean, that's a big deal. And then, you know, the money that they're getting from Fox and the money they're getting from USA Network already. So, yeah, WWE has a lot of their TV stretched across several platforms here that they're making some pretty big money for. So, yeah, WWE Network is going to be moving over to Peacock on March the 18th. And again, NBCSN is going to be ending at the end of 2021 and will be shutting down. And I should also point out the WWE Network app on March 18th. That app that if you are a subscriber, it is not going to work anymore. It is going to all move over to Peacock on March 18th. So a couple of big network moves there going on. HBO Max released their fourth quarter numbers this week, announcing how many subscribers that they had. They said they had 17.2 million active accounts. That is up from 8.6 million that they had three months ago. So their numbers are up with subscribers. I mean, you've got some definite things in here that can probably be used as the reason why. You know, I'm sure being on Amazon and Roku now... That definitely doesn't hurt. That was one major hurdle that they had from the very beginning is that they had not cleared those streaming apps. Of course, there were ways, they had finally, you know, ways to get around it on Roku. 
you know, where they had done, uh, they had figured out a way to where you could get the app on there. So, but beyond that, I mean, you've got the Warner Brothers movies. That's out. That's obviously going to be a big deal with getting some people over there. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984 definitely pulled some people in. So, yeah, HBO Max doing well. Uh, I, I like HBO Max. The price tag for me is, is an issue. I think as far as the streaming apps that are out there, HBO Max probably has the most content on it that I like or want to watch. Like anytime I get HBO Max, my queue of things to watch is pretty big on there. And then even stuff that I would like to rewatch, you know, like Friends. You know, I, sometimes I might just want to put a Friends episode on, you know, and watch some of those. Like I do that with TBS some days. I'll just turn I did that today actually I turned on TBS and just watched friends for like a couple hours and just left it on the background so yeah they've definitely probably got the most content of things that I like the problem is just that price tag that 15 a month is just that's hard but you know they are going to pull people in with these Warner Brothers movies and for me too they're going to pull me in with some of these too as well through this year, I actually saw the advertising for the new Tom and Jerry movie that's going to be premiering. I believe it's at the end of February is when that thing's going to launch. And I saw that today. I watched the preview. I thought that looks fun. You know, I would I would definitely tune in and check that out. So that is a movie that I am interested in watching. So. I could see myself maybe jumping in and giving that movie a look, you know, because it did look like it would be fun. Of course, again, you've got one month to watch it. It's going to hit theaters and it's going to hit HBO Max for one month before it expires. And that's going to be the way all the Warner Brothers 2021 movie releases are going to go is that they're going to be released in theaters, but then they're going to be on HBO Max for one month. So, yeah, that Tom and Jerry movie just looks fun. That's That looks like something I laughed at it, and it just looks like just a fun kind of like popcorn, you know, eating movie or something, you know, where you just kind of want to just sit down and watch something and laugh and enjoy and eat some popcorn, and, you know, it kind of has that feel to it. So, yeah, HBO Max, their numbers are up. They, uh... They've got a lot going on here where they have cleared these streaming apps and they've got these Warner Brothers movies. So we're going to see how those Warner Brothers movies perform for them going forward in 2021. If you're a Survivor fan, tonight is a very cool anniversary as this is 20 years since the second season of the Australian Outback premiered on CBS. It was Super Bowl Sunday, January 28, 2001. It was the show that got the post-Super Bowl spot where you try to put a big show there to get a bunch of attention on it, get that post-Super Bowl rating, you know, where you get the Super Bowl people to hopefully roll over and watch this. They would actually do this a few years later as well with Survivor All-Stars, they got the post-Super uh, Bowl uh, spot as well when uh, Super Bowl returned to CBS a few years later. And I was glued then as well. Um, yeah, Survivor Australia. This was my first Survivor experience, so to speak. I didn't watch the first season it was it was very you know of course that thing was just a monster hit in the summer of 2000 that thing was just a phenomenon right from the beginning to where everybody was watching it i didn't watch it at first but you couldn't you there's no way you didn't know about it and what was happening you know so but right after it finished airing, they did do like a repeat viewing where they ran all the episodes again right in a row. And then I recorded them all and watched them later. Survivor Australia was actually, this was my first Survivor season. This was when I got hooked and I've watched it every season ever since. And it's become one of my favorite shows of all time. 
That season two of Survivor is still one of my favorite seasons of all time as well. There's just so many likable characters. It's like you had Tina and Kobe, Roger, Elizabeth. I love the Roger and Elizabeth relationship. You know, just the bond that those two shared. And just there was a lot going on that season. It was just a very fun season. And that's always the season that I credit as the season that just got me so hooked on this show to where here I am 20 years later and it's still one of my favorite shows of all time and I'm glued to it every week and you know it's like right now we're in a down period you know with the pandemic to where there hasn't been any new survivor seasons and we don't know when we're going to get them uh one thing that uh, has been fun is if you just want to listen to some Survivor content, Rob has a podcast. They are going back and they have asked fans to rank the top 40 seasons of Survivor. And what they are doing is they are, you know, they'll find out what the next top ranked season is. And then everybody on that podcast will go back and binge watch that season and then they'll talk about it, you know, for like two hours, two and a half hours or whatever. And so they've started from the bottom and then they're working their way up. I think they're at 37th. I think they're up to 37, number 37 on the top 40 list, I think is where they are this, this, uh, this week. It's been a lot of fun to listen to. I've really enjoyed that. Of course, I love Rob has a podcast. I spend many, many an hour through the week uh, listening to their content. Rob's awesome. And uh, they're doing a great job with survivor coverage. There's so many things where they're covering these seasons of things. I've just completely forgotten from some of these seasons and I'm just laughing and cracking up at them. And so, yeah, this is a very cool anniversary. So that tells me that as of tonight, it has been 20 years of complete survivor dedication and complete glued to the TV for the show that I watched on Super Bowl Sunday 20 years ago. So happy anniversary of 20 years to Survivor the Australian Outback. Yesterday was a tough anniversary as we had the one year anniversary of the helicopter crash out in Los Angeles that claimed the lives of nine people, including Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi. Uh, man, this, this is still something a year later that is just so hard to even register that that even happened. You know, I still find myself, when I look at the headlines... And, you know, I see the stories and, you know, whether it's looking back now or the headlines, you know, from a year ago, just seeing the headline just doesn't, it's like it won't register in my brain. Like I will just look at it for like 30 seconds or a minute and like reading it, like, how can that be right? How can that be true that this happened, you know, and even a year later, it's it's still that way. That morning, I remember it clearly. I was actually at a blood drive at church, and I was helping out there and working there. And uh, you know, I sit, standing there a lot of times. Whenever you know with the blood drive, I just had friends there. You know, I just go over there and just kind of stand with them and talk to them, kind of keep them company. You know, and I was standing there with one of my friends there. And my cousin Corey texts me and he says, hey, is this, is this true about Kobe? And I was like, what's he talking about? Like, what is this going on? I just thought, what, what bizarre like social media story has he seen that's popped up in his feed or something that's, that uh, just can't be right? And so I just kind of stepped away from my friend and just kind of walked off and looked and it was, of course, it was like maybe the first or second thing that popped up. I hit social media immediately, and it was like the first or second thing that popped up. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. And, of course, I texted him back. I was like, no, this this is true. This this is legit, you know. And 
because I just thought maybe it's just some random, you know, news site or something that's just uh, putting out something wrong. You know, that's that's what you hope for. And you know, I sent it back. And I'm like, no, these are this is legit uh, news sources that are reporting this. And I was just floored. Like, how can that be? And of course, I was just useless the rest of the day for the blood drive. I just I couldn't get into it, you know, it was just, it's like they brought food, you know, for us for lunch, and I was just like, I can't eat, it's like, I'm just, I'm nauseous, I just, I'm just sick, I just, I can't, I can't eat anything, because it was just, just such a shocker, you know, it's, and even a year later, it's, you still can't make sense of it, you know, and I remember you know, of course, I was tied up there, you know, all day doing that. And when I drove home, um, of course, I flipped over to some sports radio. I don't even know who the sports radio was that was on. Um, and they were talking about it. And that was like the first, of course, I'd been just glued to Twitter all day, you know, just trying to get, you know, new info, you know, and just reading all the tributes and what everybody was saying but that driving home, that was kind of like the first like discussion that I'd heard like audible besides us talking about it there, but actually hearing like the media talking about it. And it was just so, it was just one of the weirdest things driving home and hearing them talk about that. And it was just like, he's gone. Kobe's gone. Like, how, how in the world? And that's what they were saying, too. They were trying to register that as well, trying to put that together. And just hearing them try to put it together just completely, like, rattled my brain. Like, what is going on? Like, how in the world did this happen? You know, and just how can this be true that this that this has happened, you know? And, you know, there was just so much like an outpouring of tributes just from the beginning, you know, where, you know, I was sitting there watching social media that day and you would have, you know, the games that were taking place, they decided to go ahead and play and they were taking, you know, that 24 second violations, you know, and to, uh, as a tribute and you just watch the league just really all come together you know, and just kind of support one another and try to get through this. And, you know, then you had All-Star Weekend. Of course, you know, goodness, it was, what, two weeks right after, I guess, was All-Star Weekend in Chicago. So there were a lot of tributes there. Uh, goodness, yeah. Uh, Kobe Bryant, I mean, that that guy was probably... When I think back on it, he was probably the first player that I watched from start to finish. And I say that kind of with an asterisk because Shaq is probably right there to where, you know, I watched Shaq as a rookie and, you know, of course, all the way to the end of his career. But I didn't really watch Shaq much in college. It's like I knew of Shaq. I watched some college basketball I'm more I'm much more of an NBA person than I'm a college basketball person. I can watch college, I enjoy it, but the NBA has just always been my thing since I was a kid. So, you know, I didn't I didn't really watch Shaq's college career as much, you know. It's like I just knew of him, knew he was awesome, I'd watched him, but Kobe was really cuz he came straight out of high school. So Kobe was really like the probably the first like superstar that I watched, you know, from like his, the next level all the way, you know, to the end of his career to where he hit the crazy 60 point finish to his career that night, which was just insane <laughs> that he put up 60 in his last game. But I just remember, you know, of course, being a Bulls fan, you know, there was all that hype. Um, you know, Chris, the first season, it seems like I remember him mostly just coming off the bench in his first season, and there wasn't a lot of hype on him in his first season. I think it was, of course, he had the one moment, you know, to where uh, they lost, where he just struggled 
that game against, I believe it was Utah, where he was just missing shot after shot, you know, to where it was just a tough spot to put just a youngster like that in. And, you know, and of course he talks about it, that he learned from that, and that's something that helped motivate him to get better. But by his second year, that was when the comparisons were showing up when it was just like, this This is going to be the next guy. This is the next superstar. This is the one that's going to take, you know, the, you know, the whatever, from, what's whatever the word I'm looking for is the, the torch. Now, maybe that's the word I'm looking for. Take the torch, you know, from Michael Jordan to carry the league to its next uh, next level. And, you know, I remember the All-Star game and, you know, just watching them play against each other, you know, and Kobe uh, constantly trying to get advice, you know, from Michael, even on the floor, you know, and that's one thing Kobe would talk about in interviews is that he would, he would always be trying to learn. He wanted to learn. And he would ask Michael, you know, on the floor, it's like, when you get the ball there, you know, how, how do you do, how do you do this? How do you do that? What, how do you move your defender? You know, just, always looking for information. Of course, Michael gave it to him. And, you know, and Michael would later tell the story that, you know, he gave Kobe, you know, his, his number where he could contact him. And he would, and he would tell the, he would laugh about it saying, he said, he drove me crazy. Like he would call me at all times of the night, you know, wanting information and pointers and everything. And so he drove me crazy. And he said, you know, because he was like a little brother, you know, where it's like your little brother gets on your nerves sometimes. But that's what Kobe was wanting to do. He was wanting to learn. He wanted to learn. And, you know, and of course you watch the videos and you can see right away where Kobe is making all the same moves as, as Michael was, you know, where there's that step back fadeaway you know, the same drive, just the way to get the defense to move and just all the all the ways that he would uh, move on the court. And there's a that awesome video that compares them where they're side by side making the same moves. And that's probably one reason I that um, I enjoyed watching Kobe so much is that I've always felt that Kobe, uh, after Jordan retired, I always felt Kobe was the closest thing we've had to him because he was the same type of player whether it was like that competitiveness like the style of play you know he had all that of course there's the funny story that Reggie Miller has told several times and I laugh at it every time that they were shooting a TV show for uh, MTV I don't know if it was a real world or if it was something else anyway they were on set for maybe it was the challenge yeah it might have been yeah Probably real world, like Road Rules Challenge or something. One of those uh, shows at the time. I remember it at the time because I was watching those shows. Um, but Reggie and him were uh, doing a basketball thing for the show. And so they were just out there playing basketball. And he was asking for pointers from Reggie. And Reggie was telling him, you know, Kobe's like, how do you do that step back? How do you do this and that. And of course, Reggie's giving him all the info and he's trying to help him. And then Reggie tells the story. It's like, and of course, you know, a year later, I meet him in the NBA finals and he is torching me with this step back that I had taught him how to do and it helped him to try to progress in his game. And now he is roasting me with the advice that I had given him. You know, and I always, and Reggie laughs every time he tells that story. But also, he's also very competitive too, because you know that was the closest that Reggie got to an NBA championship. You know, so he want Reggie wanted to have that championship. You know, and now Kobe's just roasting him uh, with that move that he had he had gotten advice on. So that's that's always a funny Reggie story. Kobe for me, uh, he was the first player that was like when he came into the league he was around my age you know to where i'm just like oh my goodness this is so awesome there's a player like my age that's playing in the nba this is awesome i love this and it was just such a wild thing at the time to be able to think that and one thing i realized like with 
Kobe, you know, talking about the Michael Jordan comparison is that, you know, when you watched like the outpouring of like tributes and everything that happened afterwards, you know, and it was just that realization even more so that it was like what Michael Jordan is to me is what Kobe Bryant is to the generation after me. That's what was very clear. It's like what Michael means to me is what Kobe meant to all these people that you're seeing all these fans that were doing these tributes and this outpouring, you know, that to that generation, Kobe, that was their guy, you know, just like Michael was my guy, you know, Kobe was theirs. And that's one thing that you really saw with that. And there were so many times, you know, like, I, re- I still remember the game that I was watching. I believe it was 05 when he hit the game winner in the first round. It was against Phoenix where he hit that awesome game winner. I still remember watching that. Where that day we had like two games. I think LeBron James hit a big game winner that day for Cleveland too, if I remember right. So LeBron hit that. And then like the next game, Kobe hit a game winner to... uh to put the Lakers over Phoenix. If I remember right, I'm pretty sure that's right. And just crazy. There were so many times to where, you know, when the Bulls would get done, and this goes back, you know, a long way, you know, I would, when the Bulls would get done, I'd flip over to the West Coast game where it's like, all right, well, what are the Lakers doing? You know, let's see what they're doing tonight. A lot of times it was flipping over there to see, hey, what's Kobe doing tonight? What's What's he got going on? And see if he's doing anything big, if I needed to stay there with the game or whatever. And, you know, there was one thing with Twitter and that I absolutely loved. And, uh, of course, I've followed David Aldridge forever, uh, NBA reporter. He's been with TNT and uh, is with Athletic now. Um, David Aldridge would post on Twitter anytime that Kobe was doing something big. When you saw DA post Kobe Bean Bryant in capital letters, you'd better turn that game on because <laughs> something's going on and it's big. So there was that's one thing I always remember that I always laughed at and enjoyed is that was probably my favorite. David Aldridge tweets of all time on Twitter is anytime I just hear him say Kobe Bean Bryant. It was you knew something was going on. So and even on you know the night of his last game, I saw DA post that, you know, when Kobe was going crazy for 60. And uh that was that was an awesome uh it's like fitting for his his last game, you know. And you know, I still remember you know, the, the moment of, you know, of course, the end, toward the end of his career, he was battling injuries. And one thing that, to me, talking about injuries, that just showed his toughness and his competitiveness was the night that he went down with that Achilles injury. And that was the season that they were struggling and they'd brought Dwight Howard in. He wasn't performing to where they needed him. And that team just was struggling. They were right there around like the eighth spot, if I remember right, of the playoffs. And they were doing, you know, it was going to be a struggle if they were going to make the playoffs. And I watched Kobe that year, and it was literally a deal of, you just saw the body language of Kobe Bryant that he was like, okay, well, you know what? If, if I can't, if I can't get enough help, then I'm just going to carry this whole thing on my shoulders. I'm going to carry this team to the playoffs. And I'm going to carry us in there and I'm going to put it all on my shoulders. And you watched him do that game after game. I would watch him play and you could just see that he was just bound and determined that he was going to carry the whole load and he was going to get that team in the playoffs, and there was there was going to be no ifs, ands, or buts. He was going to get that team in the playoffs if he had to do it all himself. And there were a lot of times that season where it looked like he was doing it himself, you know. And when that injury happened, 
the first thing I thought of was his body just finally, the load of carrying that team, his body quit. His body just couldn't take the weight. You know, that's, that's what it felt like to me, to where it was like the weight of carrying that team for so long that his body broke on him. You know, and then, of course, he goes down with the injury, and then he limps back out, walks to the free throw line, and hits two, I think he hit the two free throws. Anyway, he shot the free throws, and, of course, there's the rule in the NBA to where, you know, if you get fouled, um, you have to be the one that shoots the free throws, or you can't come back in the game, so... You know, Kobe went down and he had to shoot the free throws because I guess he, I don't know if he was planning on coming back in the game or if it was just a willpower thing or what it was. But anyway, you know, he's sitting there with that thing just completely torn. And then he just walks to the free throw line and shoots those free throws and then walks off the court. It was just, just a monster moment of just how tough that guy was, you know, and it's like, I will always remember that moment. And that season to me just showed his competitiveness and his willpower of that. I'm going to win. And I, if I have to do it all myself, I'm doing it <laughs> and get out of my way, you know? So yeah, it was, uh, just, it's a tough anniversary because, uh, man, I just, I don't know if we're ever all going to be able to register the shock of that moment of learning about that. You know, and I remember, you know, afterwards when they did the tributes there at the Staples Center and they would, you know, they had his numbers uh, lit up up top and they had everything else darkened. And just every time they would take that camera shot, it was like my eyes just couldn't uh removed from looking at those retirement numbers up there you know the banners the 8 and 24 up there it's like i just every time every time that camera shot would turn that's where my eyes would get glued to where i'm like i just can't believe it you know and that and staples center is like that was his house you know that was kobe's house was staples center and it just felt so empty you know, to where it was just like, man, you know, he's missing, you know, and so, you know, I mean, you had the powerful video that was out there later where they showed him and Gigi, you know, the last time that he walked into Staples Center and, you know, where he's greeting everybody and like, uh, you know, the security lady that walks him in uh, gives him a hug, you know, because you know he knows everybody in that building, you know, that's, it's home. So it was like, uh, it was like him coming back home because he kind of disappeared for a while after he retired. He just kind of disappeared. He wasn't really big in getting into the spotlight. You know, he just kind of wanted to just step back from basketball and, you know, and, uh, after that it was his daughter, you know, where it's, it's, uh, the thing that was talked about so much. He was a girl dad, you know, he was a girl dad and, that was what his life was, and that was what his life was that morning. He was, you know, involved in her basketball, and I just, I was really looking forward to what Gigi was going to be able to do on the court, you know, and he just, he loved being involved in her sports and in her basketball career, you know, watching him, like, coach her and give her advice and things was really awesome, so... Yeah, it's just uh it's just still something a year later is very hard to register and to believe that that happened. It's uh there was a lot of just awesome tributes yesterday just listening to people, you know, tell stories and telling where they were, you know, and it's like I always remember where I was, you know, that day and just the shock of it. So yeah, thoughts and prayers, you know, they go out to every every family, family, friend, fan of all those, you know, lost uh, with that tragedy that day with that helicopter crash. 
you know, make sure, make sure to say prayers and remember, remember all those, you know, don't just let the focus be, you know, on Kobe and Gigi. It's like, remember, remember the families of all those lost. Cause there's a lot of families and friends and people that are hurting, you know, as a result of that crash that are terribly missing, missing their loved ones, you know? So just uh, remember all of them in prayer, and uh, yeah, just a tough, it's a tough anniversary. It's hard to believe it's been one year, but man, it feels like yesterday, because even all through the day, it just felt like you were back in it again, you know, so Mamba forever. That is it for this week's podcast. Hope you all have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and God bless.